politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Well, gas prices are going up big time. And acting President Jen Psaki today said, look, if you just transition to green, it'll all be good. All right. But how are voters feeling? Well, they're not happy about it. <laughs> they're not happy about it. You know why? Because we're the ones actually paying for it. That's why. Let me see how ridiculous this is. But don't forget, it's very, very deliberate. It's all about getting you switched to electric cars. Good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. I hope you're having a great day today. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it very, very much. And uh, obviously, there's a lot to bring you, as you can imagine, on this busy, busy afternoon. So why don't we get right to it? Uh, Secretary of Energy Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete. They love this guy on the left, obviously. He admitting saying what we know is the quiet part out loud. Here we go. Clean transportation can bring significant cost savings for the American people as well. Last month, we announced a $5 billion investment to build out a nationwide electric vehicle charging network so the people from rural to suburban to urban communities can all benefit from the gas savings of driving an EV. There you go. You, you just drive an EV and you're good. All right, you're good. Don't worry about it. Just drive an EV. That's all you got to do. Just drive an EV. Uh, Acting President uh, Saki says no, no decision yet on banning oil imports from Russia. No decision yet. But we are going to possibly now buy more oil from terrorist countries and also countries like Venezuela. As it relates to Venezuela, uh, the purpose of the trip that was taken by uh, administration officials was to discuss a range of issues, including certainly energy, energy security, uh, but also uh, to discuss the health and welfare of detained U.S. citizens. We're never going to miss an opportunity to do exactly that. Uh, and I will just note in this scenario that they are separate. They are separate uh, paths and conversations, just as they are in the Iran negotiations. But the main point is we want their oil and we need their oil because people like voters in Florida, for example, they're a little bit annoyed by this. This is from a local news report. Now we depend on everybody else in their countries to supply our gas. Uh, This seems a little bit ridiculous. Our state seeing an average of $4 a gallon. Palm Beach County, though, 11 cents above that at $4.11. And over on the Treasure Coast, just above $4 a gallon, depending on where you go. I actually bought this car just because of that. I drive a diesel truck and I just can't afford to fill it up anymore. So I actually got to go to work now to uh, go make some money. So There you go. He's got to go make some money, and he should go make some money. And that's the thing. You want to do that. You want to make some money. Uh, I don't even know how to say this with a straight face, but it turns out there are many people apparently now who are rooting for Putin because they view Putin as the savior of humanity. I I didn't know this, did you? Uh, But Tom Nichols, Radio Free Tom, saying there's a whole group of right-wing Republicans. Let's understand that there are two separate things going on in the GOP. First of all, with people like McGregor and others, you have to understand that there are a group of right-wing Republicans who really think of Putin as this kind of white Christian savior of civilization with whom we could make some sort of... um, We could link arms and make some sort of common defense against the Islamic world and against the encroachment of 
you know, left wing civilization and, you know, the drag queens and the gays and the, you know, vegans and spelling reformers and all the other boogeymen of the American right. That's that's different from the elect the GOP electeds who are drifting back and forth and trying to find some place to land on this issue because they are fundamentally unserious people. They don't care about foreign policy. They don't care about uh, the defense of Europe. They don't care uh, really about anything except their own careers. So what you're seeing is a bunch of cranks and crackpots on one side and a bunch of utterly hollow opportunists on the other um, and the Republican Party as the vessel of any kind of coherent foreign policy foreign policy ideology or really as a coherent vessel of any kind of political ideology um, other than a, this kind of general you know uh, white resentment that gravitates toward people like Putin um, is really dead and so you know it's not there is a crack up in the Republican Party but again it's kind of kooks on one side and opportunists on the other and the net result is is that Putin really can count on a very divided America uh, and has been able to count on a divided America for the kind of reasons Molly was just talking about. All right, so that's, you got it now? There are a group of right-wing Republicans who think of Putin as the white Christian savior savior of civilization with whom we could link arms and make a sort of common defense against the Islamic world and against the encroachment of left wing civilization. Got that? Now, I'm assuming he obviously means Trump, former President Trump and everyone who's a Trump supporter. This went viral today. This is Donald Trump as president of the United States when he went to the United Nations and called out countries for relying on Russian oil. You can actually hear the German delegation Reliance on a single laughing. foreign supplier can leave a nation vulnerable to extortion and intimidation. That is why we congratulate European states such as Poland for leading the construction of a Baltic pipeline so that nations are not dependent on Russia to meet their energy needs. Germany will become totally dependent on Russian energy if it does not immediately change course. Here in the Western Hemisphere, we are committed to maintaining our independence from the encroachment of expansionist foreign powers. There you go. Calling out Russia, and you can see the UN, the the German delegation, chuckling. Chuckling. Ha, 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 ha. So funny, you see. So funny. The idea that the president was calling out these countries for being reliant on Russia. And now the United States of America is about to do the same thing. Just become reliant on other bad countries around the world. Uh, as we debate maybe cutting off Russia's oil. And I don't know if we will or not, but there was a great exchange today at the White House between Peter Ducey and Jen Psaki. You have to remember something too, as all this is being playing out. Please, I beg of you, don't think this is accidental. Here's the truth. They just don't care about you. They don't. The Democrats don't care about you. You think they give a damn when you're filling up your SUV? You gas guzzler, you? They don't care that it takes, it costs you $100 to fill up. They don't care. In fact, they're glad it hurts you. They want it to hurt. They need it to hurt. Because that's the only way you are going to switch over to an EV. I played you a Pete Buttigieg said. You don't have to worry about gas prices if you buy an EV. Now, it's idiotic, of course, but because something has to has to fuel it. I mean, something has to provide the power source of that battery, and that's energy, and energy prices affect all of us. But let's leave that out for a moment. 
they don't care that you're going to go and fill up your gas tank this week and you're going to look at the pump and think to yourself, do I win a, like a pony with this? Do I get to take home a pony? At least maybe chocolates, little souvenir chocolates or something. They don't care. They want you to hurt. You're a greedy gas guzzler. Don't you understand that? This is all by design. This is all by design. They, they cut the Keystone XL pipeline on purpose. And I love how Jen Psaki's like, well, you know, acting president Psaki, excuse me. She's like, well, you know, the Keystone XL pipeline, even if we hadn't killed it, it wouldn't be online today. Yeah, but see, here's the, what the administration's not, not being honest about. They have put a moratorium on all new drilling and, and gas. And Saki brings this up today in this exchange with Peter Ducey. She's like, hey, listen, where are the oil companies? Why aren't they drilling? There's all this land out there. The White House won't let them. The, the, the government has put a moratorium on any new drilling, on any new natural gas exploration, while they work out the cost of the climate change impact. They're not being honest about that. They're lying about that because they know the media is not going to call them out on it, so they don't care. But here's a little exchange today between the Deuce, Peter Ducey, and the acting president of the United States of America, Jen Psaki, nothing to do with the current supply imbalance. So gas prices are approaching an all-time high per gallon. How high would they have to get before President Biden would say, I'm going to set aside my ambitious climate goals and just increase domestic oil production, get the producers to drill more here, and we can address the fossil fuel future later? Well, again, Peter, the U.S. produced more oil this past year than in President Trump's first year. Next year, according to the Department of Energy, we will produce more oil than ever than ever before. Those are those are the facts in terms of oil production. And again, right now there are 9,000 unused approved permits to drill onshore. So I think you're misidentifying what the actual issue is. But if we're looking to the future and what how what we can do to prevent this from being a challenge in future crises, the best thing we can do is reduce our dependence on fossil fuels and foreign oil uh, because that will help help us uh, have a, a reliable source of energy so that we're not worried about gas prices going up because of the whims of a foreign dictator. Right, and you guys think that- But we could not have to worry about gas prices going up because of the whims of a foreign dictator if we just controlled our own supply. See, Jen Psaki, acting President Saki kind of misses that point, does she not? Yeah, I think she does. Asking Saudi Arabia or Venezuela for Iran is reducing our dependence on foreign oil? That's actually, I just outlined each of those specific scenarios and the range of par- discussions that we're having uh, with each of those countries. I don't think anybody is advocating for Iran to continue acquiring a nuclear weapon, perhaps except for the former president who put, pulled us out of the deal. Go ahead. President Zelensky spoke with ABC There you go, got it? So, so if you understand exactly what she's saying, and it's very difficult to understand what she's saying, the bottom line is this, just go electric. Just go electric because we're going to buy foreign fuel, but that's not going to do it anyway. We're never going to become dependent on our own fuel. We don't We don't believe in it. We don't want to be. So just go electric and problem solved, okay? All right, good, pack it up, go home. Media Research Center has a little uh, thing here of the networks this morning talking about, well, you know, you're going to need those EVs. That's right. They're going to need the EVs. They don't mention the Keystone XL pipeline, like on CBS this morning, for example, where they talk about Biden canceling the Keystone XL pipeline without ever actually mentioning it. So here we go. Here we go. The price of oil has topped $130 a barrel overnight. Gas prices. Unbiased journalist George Stephanopoulos, a man who was very, very instrumental in going after fossil fuels, of course, because Democrats hate fossil fuels. Because they live in a fantasy world thinking that everything would be powered by windmills and uh, just somebody just making lots of puddles, hydropower, puddles, puddle power. 
Blitzkrieg 2. How long is this going to last? It's going to last as long as a war between Russia and Ukraine lasts and until we're able to ramp up production in the U.S. We could be ramping up production right now. This administration won't let people. That's the problem. The demand is there. Now, if the U.S. were to fully ban Russian imports, we'd make up for that gap by ramping up production here domestically. That would take some time. Well, U.S. oil producers will probably ramp up production, but you see, that takes time, about ah. six months to get into the pipeline. They could have been ramping it up from day one if Biden had not made it impossible for them to ramp up production. See, if the media actually checked any of this out, they would figure this out themselves and they could directly blame Joe Biden for all this. They could, but they don't want to do any work. Come on. They're not exactly very uh, studious people here. Now, with the national average where it is, Americans are going to spend more than half a trillion dollars on gas this year alone. That, of course, has interest in electric vehicles going way up. Yeah. The average cost of an electric vehicle is $56,437. Yeah, that just lying around? Huh? <sighs> Even Fareed Zakaria is urging Biden now to ramp up U.S. domestic gas production. Isn't that something? Fareed Zakaria, it's uh, GPS with Fareed Zakaria or the show is something or other. That's CNN, I don't know. Um, but we, we, we must, we must ramp this up. We have to do it. Fareed Zakaria on CNN, who has said this and then will never be seen from ever again. Today, the... The United States is the largest producer of oil and gas in the world. It can ramp up production and exports and help turn on spigots in other countries. Joe Biden is worried that he's going to look like Jimmy Carter when his power position is actually more like that of the king of Saudi Arabia. President Biden should announce that he is going to respond to this massive challenge to the international order by expediting as much production and export of American petroleum as possible to replace Russian energy. With natural gas, he should urge his regulators to facilitate production, and he should help more with the financing of liquefied natural gas so that it can be sent to Europe quickly. He should also encourage countries like Japan and South Korea to divert more of their LNG to Europe. They have alternative air energy sources. Some of this will take time to happen, but markets will react to the signals and to new supplies and prices will fall. There you go. There you go. Prices would fall. He's exactly right. Fareed Zakaria, GPS. Is that really the, the show's called GPS? All right. Well, Fareed Zakaria, GPS, you, sir are correct let's cut through the bs this is the rich zioli podcast now you might be thinking to yourself all right all right here's the deal daylight savings time's coming up I need to stop changing the clocks and you'd be exactly correct no doubt about that so congress may decide soon on scrapping the time i for one i think we need as much daylight as possible i really do daylight equals vitamin d vitamin d equals health health is good so then vitamin D is good, which means more sunlight is good. More sunlight is good. It's a good thing. Look, early on during COVID, back in the day when COVID was a thing, my kids today were mask-free for the first time. I mean, my son, I'm thinking about this today. My son, Patrick, has never not really known what it's like to be in school without a mask on. Because when he was in kindergarten, he had to wear a mask the entire year. He was in preschool when this whole thing started. This is how long it's been going on, two years now. He was, he was in preschool when this started. He was in kindergarten, and he wore a mask the entire time. 
and he's in first grade, and he's been wearing a mask in September. Today's March 7th, and the first day that he's now mask-free. No kids were wearing masks today. I, my short observation, no parents were to pick up either. Thank God. But some some schools in our in our state, in this area, this region, still making the kids wear masks. I, I just think it's amazing. My son has been in public school now, kindergarten, first grade. Today's the first day he's ever known what it was like to not wear a mask in school. It's just, it's just amazing. Pathetic is what it is. It's absolutely pathetic. Um, vitamin D is very essential to people's health. I'm no doctor, so I'm not giving you medical advice. I just know that I think that it's good for us. I just give you my anecdotal idea. I think vitamin D good, not vitamin D bad. The CDC director, Rachel Walensky, you know, she acknowledges something, which I'm so glad she said. It's something we've been saying for a while, too. You know, the thing about science is, doesn't it seem how it changes a lot? For something that is supposedly fixed, like science, doesn't it seem like it changes an awful lot? And I think it does. And this is Rochelle Walensky, the CDC director, who's acknowledging, hey, you know what? Science changes. But I'll tell you something else, though, as, as, as I think how many people, you, me, were blasted for not believing in science, right? We weren't, we, we didn't believe in the science. We were deniers because we might have argued about things like mask mandates, for example. We were deniers. And so for that reason, well, you know, you and I were a bunch of idiots. And I think, too, you know, when, when I look at the way the world goes, it's such a thing when you disagree with people how they immediately come and insult your intelligence. You notice that? You find that a lot? I find that all the time. It's one of the first things that they do. But what we said early on throughout this whole thing is, well, why don't we try this or why don't we try that? Or maybe we should be outside more. And we got blasted as, why do you want to kill people? Well, now the CDC director is acknowledging what we've all known. Experience. Um, and then maybe the other thing I'll say is this area of gray. Um, I have frequently said, um, you know, we're going to lead with the science. Science is going to be the foundation of everything we do. That is entirely true. I think public heard that as science is foolproof. Science is black and white. Science is immediate and we get the answer. And then we, you know, make the decision based on the answer. And the truth is, science is gray. And science is not always immediate. And it, sometimes it takes months and years to actually find out the answer. But you have to make, you know, decisions when you can't answer that you have that It's interesting, I mean. Anyway, I'm just saying. So uh, there you go. I mean, uh, what, what can I tell you other than the fact that science changes a lot? A lot. Science. Why does science change so much in this gray area? And so what happened if you and I disagreed with the science? Like Dr. Nicole Sapphire, for example, said today, she said, my kids are in school today mask-free for the first time in nearly two years. Well, this feels like a victory. It is difficult to celebrate knowing how much damage has already been done by the policies inflicted upon children throughout the pandemic. It's true. This young woman wrote an op-ed for the New York Times. She said, I came to college eager to debate. I found self-censorship instead. So as you know, I'm, or you may know, I'm moderating a debate of the Pennsylvania candidates for governor in conjunction with the PA Family Council. They came over to me, the Pennsylvania Family Policy Council and asked me if I'd moderate. I was very honored to do so. It's going to be March 24th at Karen University in Bucks County. 
And, you know, we was, I was there today. I was talking to them. We had lunch and we we're talking to, uh, to some of the people from the college. And we had this discussion about what woke is like in college. And it's a Christian college, so it's a little bit different there. But the main theme of the conversation today was, isn't it such a shame that you've got students who are afraid to speak out on things. Like, like take Leah Thompson, for example, the uh, or Thomas, the, the, the swimmer, the transgender swimmer at Penn. I mean, how many girls on the team want to speak out and say that they don't feel like it's fair? But they're afraid to because they'll get booted out of the school. They'll be labeled a bigot. Uh, they'll be labeled as, as somebody who's a, who's a phobe. You know, you're a phobe, you're transphobe, you're this phobe. So they don't say anything. This young woman wrote, uh, Emma Camp, senior at the University of Virginia, she wrote this piece at the New York Times today. It's actually the New York Times published it. Now she says, I went to college to learn from my professors and my peers. I welcomed an environment that champions intellectual diversity and rigorous disagreement. Instead, my college experience has been defined by strict ideological conformity. Students of all political persuasions hold back in class discussions, in friendly conversations, on social media. They hold back from saying what we really think. Even as a liberal who has attended abortion rights protests and written about standing up to racism, I sometimes feel afraid to fully speak my mind. I mean, you would think that in college, for example, if you're a liberal in college, you're home, you're, you're Br'er Rabbit in the briar patch. But no, because the problem is that if you say something that offends anybody, then you're going to be blown out of the water here. So, so, so the left has created this among themselves, and I don't really feel sorry for her that this is happening because, you know. She said, in the classroom, backlash for unpopular opinions is so commonplace that many students have stopped voicing them, sometimes fearing lower grades. According to a 2021 survey administered by College Pulse, 37,000 students at 159 colleges, 80% of students self-censor at least some of the time. 48% of undergraduate students describe themselves as, quote, somewhat uncomfortable or very uncomfortable with expressing their views on a controversial topic during classroom discussions. She says, when a class discussion goes poorly for me, I can tell. During a feminist theory class in my sophomore year, I said that non-Indian women can criticize suti, a historical practice of ritual suicide by Indian widows. This idea seemed acceptable for academic discussion, but to many of my classmates, it was objectionable. The room felt tense. I saw people shift in their seats. Someone got angry, and then everyone seemed to get angry. After the professor tried to move the discussion along, I still felt uneasy. I became a little less likely to speak up again and a little less trusting of my own thoughts. Think about it now. She's, she said that non-Indian women can criticize a historical practice of ritual suicide by Indian widows. And they said, no, 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 no. Only Indian women can criticize ritual suicide. Think about this now. So you can't even, you can't, like, this is so ridiculous. You go, I, I don't think ritual suicides are a good, good, good thing. I think, it, I think it sets women back. I don't think we should do that. How dare you suggest that? You're a non, non-Indian woman. How can you suggest that? She said I was shaken, but also determined to not silence myself. Still, the disdain of my fellow students stuck with me. I was a welcomed member of the group, and then I wasn't. Throughout the semester, she writes, I saw similar reactions in response to other students' ideas. I heard fewer classmates speak up. Eventually, our discussions became monotonous echo chambers. Absent rich dialogue and rigor became mired in socially safe ideas. Being criticized, she says, doesn't trouble me, but what happens is that 
it's the shaming part of it too. And you know, there was this great thing from the Babylon Bee today where they have um, the new thing now that masks are gone. What the left's going to use the virtue signal now is just a shirt that says, I'm a good person. And I find that too a lot of times where you're judged by, well, are you really a good person? Are you being a good person? Of course, what that means and why we give more institutions, for example, more power to decide who's a good person, like the CDC, for example, and they acknowledge science is gray. But this is what happens. There's a kid in a college campus who uh, he admits in this same piece that this woman wrote, she said, uh, this guy straight up lied about his beliefs to avoid conflict. Sometimes he's at a party. Sometimes he's at an acapella rehearsal, sometimes in the classroom. When politics comes up, I just kind of go into survival mode, he said. I tense up a lot more because I've got to think very carefully about how I word things. It's very anxiety-inducing. Now, I'll tell you one thing. When I was in college, I loved debating politics with people. I thought that was one of the coolest things about college. I really did. I loved it. I mean, here we were on the verge of adulthood. We technically were adults under the eyes of the law, but... And we could have late night chats in the dorms and we could get into real political conversations and red meat. I have to tell you, I don't ever remember a time where I lost a friendship and I had my conservative beliefs even in college. They would they would solidify over the years and certainly grow more, much more libertarian over the years. But I was me then. But I remember having great conversations with friends and sometimes we get a little heated or something like that, but that's okay. But I never remembered it destroying a friendship. I never remembered feeling like I had to censor myself. But this is what I mean about times changing right now. Where you've got the future, quote unquote, the future of America, afraid to speak their mind because they don't want to be judged by what they believe. She says, this anxiety affects not just conservatives. I spoke with Abby Sachs, a progressive fourth-year student. She said she experienced a pile-on during a class discussion about sexism in media. She disagreed with a professor who she said called Captain Marvel a feminist film. She commented that she felt the film emphasized the title character's physical strength instead of her internal conflict and emotions. She said this seemed to frustrate her professor. Her classmate noticed, quote, it was just a succession of people, one after each other, just vehemently disagreeing with me. She felt overwhelmed. Everyone adding on to each other kind of energized the room. Like everyone wanted to be part of the group with the correct opinion. Makes me not want to go to class again, she said. Well, groupthink is a real thing, obviously, and you know this. Of course, again, breaking from the piece. Groupthink's a real thing. And this is part of the problem, too, with social media. And why I avoid it more and more these days is because you, you, you tend to have insular echo chambers. And I have no interest in debating and fighting with people on social media anymore because it's just not fun. And so you wind up going into your teams and we put in our jerseys and we all go fight each other. The problem, though, is that we're kind of losing something. If, I mean, if you can't even debate Captain Marvel, and, and as a Marvel aficionado, I can tell you Captain Marvel is just not a great movie. It's just not. It's just not a great movie. And now, of course, somebody's going to say that that's the male in me not loving the feminist journey of Captain Marvel. I just don't feel it. Put it to you this way. I know Marvel fans who are men I know Marvel fans who are women. Nobody ever goes, it's Saturday night. I'm going to pop in Captain Marvel. They don't. They'll throw on Captain America. They'll throw on the Avengers. They'll throw on Avengers Endgame. They'll even watch Black Widow twice. But uh, Captain Marvel is not that good. But now here's a woman who's a liberal in college disagreeing with the premise that the movie is in fact 
a liberal tour de force, a feminist movie. And for that, she's blasted. And everybody in the in the group starts piling on one by one to all agree together because it feels good. It's safe. It's safe to all agree together and have the same mindset. Only 27 faculty members at a recent college signed a statement supporting free expression, less than 10% of the college's faculty. You know why that is? Because professors don't want to lose their jobs. Professors don't want to lose their jobs, so they're afraid to be on the side of free speech. I mean, literally the free speech movement was born at a college, Berkeley. It was born there. Professors today don't want to be removed by the university, especially if they don't have tenure. She said, I protested a university policy about the size of signs allowed on dorm room doors by mounting a large sign of the First Amendment. That sign was removed by the university. In response, I work with administrators to create a less restrictive policy. As a columnist for the local university newspaper, I implored students to embrace free expression. In response, I lost friends and faced a Twitter pylon. I've been brave, and yet, without support, the activism of a few students, like me, changes little. Our universities cannot change our social interactions, but they can foster appreciation for ideological diversity in academic environments. Universities must do more than just make public statements supporting free expression. We need a culture on campus that prioritizes ideological diversity and strong policies that protect expression in the classroom. She says universities should refuse to cancel speakers. They should refuse to cave to unreasonable student demands. They should encourage professors to reward intellectual diversity and nonconformism. And they should discard restrictive speech codes. They get rid of the bias response teams. But that stuff's never going to happen. And the reason why it won't happen again is because the, 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 the idea now is to feel safe. That's what it's about. It's not about learning. It's not about challenging beliefs. It's not about even having fun disagreeing with beliefs. Gone are those late night sessions where everybody might get a little high or get a little tipsy and debate politics and have some fun. That's all gone now. That's gone. You know, everybody getting stoned around the campfire and disagreeing on things and laughing it up and maybe even getting a little passionate. But, you know, but I love you, man. Love, that's gone. In fact, if you push those things, you'll be gone for making the other people at the campfire not safe. I know. It's a crazy, crazy time in which we're in right now. But it ain't going to get any better because college rewards itself. And like any other echo chamber, this is what happens. Echo chambers reward echo chambers. It's what always happens in life. And that is a very, very, very scary thing. Well, listen, thanks for hanging out with me this afternoon. I appreciate it. I cannot believe it. My son, Patrick, the first time that he has now been maskless in public school, it's hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, it really is. It's hard. It's just it's just very difficult for me to grasp that fact that here's my little boy for the first time. My daughter had a mask man uh, exemption, but here's my son for the first time without a mask on in public school. What what a waste. What an absolute waste of time and, 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 and of development. Of course, I'll make sure he's okay. Don't worry. I'll make sure he's okay. The bigger challenge, of course, is making sure this crap doesn't come back. And I don't know. There are a lot of people on the left right now who miss miss the mask they miss it they need it they want it and they're gonna fight to get it back believe me so we better stand up to it i'll tell you that because otherwise the gray science will be making a great comeback you don't want that to happen kids trust me on that we need freedom feels nice doesn't it a little bit scary though right have a great day thank you